Slow Burn Media and Bill Huffman present Who Killed, a podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. Hello and welcome to episode 65 of Who Killed, a show that provides a voice for the voiceless. I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media production. I know that we've all been kept in our homes for the past few weeks, if not months, due to the coronavirus epidemic, pandemic, and this week we are going to change things up a little bit, and we're going to talk to Nick from True Crime Garage about a case that actually has some resolution. So instead of leaving you guys hanging on who killed, I thought we'd bring some answers to this week's episode. With everything that's going on in the world, I thought we should use some positivity. So join me as we discuss the most recent updates on the John Tony Muncy murder case from Columbus, Ohio. And anybody who's a fan of cold cases and the cold case units who obviously are very passionate about solving these cases. This is an example of a team that was never going to give up and it should give anybody who has a cold case in their city a little bit of faith that these units are doing everything in their power to solve these cases. And as somebody who started with the Amy Mahalovic case, I can only hope that we will see the same resolution one day in her case as well. So join me and Nick as we discuss the case of who killed Tony Muncie. Everything that's been going on with the world has been a little crazy, so I thought I'd do a little bit of a different episode this week. And one of my most favorite guests is joined me in the studio to discuss, I don't know, just a little conversation about true crime and uh, welcome back to the show for the millionth time, Nick from true crime garage. Joining you in the studio with a, from a very long cable. We are distancing ourselves socially. We are in two different locations. This is a 100% socially distanced approved episode. Yeah, I'm coming to you live from the bunker. And I'm coming to you live from the studio. There you go. There you go. So how have you been holding up? I've been surviving. It's uh, been, I still have to go to work because I am an essential worker at the moment. And so I still go in and write the news, but I only do that three nights a week. Other than that. My life's been pretty, I don't know, watched a lot of uh, Netflix, uh, mm-hmm. done a bunch of podcasts, obviously, and uh, listened to a bunch of books on tape. Love, uh, I don't know, just been really devouring, uh, loving the Libby app, which is the local library app for us. I don't know if it's okay. a national yeah. thing. But it's a good place to get free audiobooks. And it is one of the, like, if you just search true crime, I mean, there's eight pages worth of books to, to dive into. And it's really, it's, it's, 
it's interesting and uh, obviously i have a audible subscription and i've read I some love audible yeah there's just i'm a long time subscriber i i listen a lot when i'm driving and not driving as much the past six or seven weeks so uh, i'm a little down a little behind on my audio books i was i did fall into some true crime tv watching for a few days got stuck on the lake erie murders the the series not not mm. the one that you and i were a part of but the series that took place after that you mean you didn't just keep re-watching yeah, ourselves watching, <laughs> watching you on the screen over and over again um no but those cases are interesting because they're you know they're all kind of this region you know yes. you get a lot of yes. michigan ohio pennsylvania new york and you know me Bill, I've, I'm fascinated with Ohio crimes, and the closer the crime to me, the closer the story to me, for some reason, I'm always a little more fascinated by it, just because often it's taking place in a place that I've been to before, and if I can visualize things in the story, it makes it so much more interesting and easy to follow, and also kind of to try to play a little armchair detective and piece things together uh, myself, and some of those episodes they are featuring shows that in cases that are solved and some of them are still unsolved to this day i did speaking of podcasts i did listen to your podcast when you had mr jimmy renner on your on your wonderful show and talking about his passion case and i don't have the gentleman's well i shouldn't say gentleman we don't know if he qualifies as such but um joseph newton, that, joseph newton chandler Yes, the guy that was living as Joseph Newton Chandler is was was he really Joseph Newton Chandler or living? He was living as Joseph Joseph Newton Chandler. Oh, you know how this goes. Eight million cases that you look into. Um, I'll have to look that up. Um, yeah, I believe that's what he was going by. Um, but it was definitely a very interesting episode for sure, and. I definitely feel like there were a lot of people that really <laughs> were interested in it. I, I just can't believe that that guy could. I mean, again, it it was just such an old Robert Ivan Nichols. That's what his real name is. Yeah. It's such a fascinating case. And one, you and you and James have a good chemistry. So that was really cool to hear that play out. But what, what an interesting mystery where you have this guy why has he assumed this other identity? What else is he hiding? What is he running from? The, that's what I think is so intriguing about it because the possibilities are kind of endless. And on True Crime Garage, we did an episode, I think it was about a year ago, and actually you you had helped me with some of the audio for it, The Invisible Man. Yes. The, uh, a, a man who was... So similar. He He was living under a stolen identity in Indiana. And then he just up and disappears one day from, he had married this woman and he just leaves her a note says, you know, here's a hundred bucks. See you later. And he just disappears, vanishes. And then the police law enforcement are left wondering, okay, who was he before he showed up to Indiana? Where did he go afterwards? And why? And, and, what is, is he running from something? Has he, has he killed somebody? Has he committed bank robberies? You know, who is this guy and what's he going to do once he goes 
and assumes another identity. Now, he he assumed his he he stole this identity from a uh, a child that died in a being hit by a vehicle, I think. And Chandler, oddly enough, same thing stole that identity from a child who died in a, a vehicle accident. Yeah, the, the similarity. The old school way of doing it. It was. It really was. Yeah. You just walk through a cemetery. You pick somebody out who was dead before they ever were given a social security number, and boom, you have a new identity. Yep, that, you're looking for somebody that's the same race and the uh, about the same age. And yeah. the younger they are, the less chance they actually had a social security number. So you can just take their identity, their name, and their general information and apply for one. And if you get it, because back then. I, I shouldn't say back then. I don't. I don't know how it is today because I have obviously haven't applied for a social security number recently. But um, you know, a lot of these guys would just mail in the information, and they would just mail you the the social security number, and boom, you're bingo, bango, jingo, jango. You're ready to go. I mean, I'm a nonfiction guy mostly, but I will uh, pull a little bit of Shawshank out of there because that's mm-hmm. exactly how he got his identity in the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, so while we are discussing, you know, that was one of James's passion cases, and mm-hmm. your show's been doing great. I know you got some exciting guests coming up. Oh, we yes. want to discuss some very intriguing cases, a lot of them unsolved, which, mm-hmm. is, which is super interesting. And then to take that a step further, even the ones that are solved or seem to have a conclusion, there's still some mystery and controversy within a lot of those. So a lot of interesting stuff. Now, I want to point out something. I'm going to, I'm going to take a, be a little selfish here and take up some time on your show. You've been listening to True Crime Garage for a long time, so you might be aware of this. But we did a bonus episode a long time ago. We haven't done bonus episodes in, in a while. And it's been a few years. Yeah, part of that is just, one, we do so much content. And then, two, we have our premium show that you that you that requires a subscription it's pretty cheap and it it's it's of great value it's our show off the record but the reason why it's of great value is not only are you getting a bonus true crime garage show but it's a huge catalog of other bonus shows on there as well and that's on stitcher premium so when we're pushing that it felt a little weird to me to also get out there and push a bonus show but we used to sell these bonus shows for I think they were a dollar ninety nine, and that they're still available if anybody wants to go back and find them. But we did one on a case that is one of my passion cases, and the victim's name was Anthony Muncie. He went by Tony Muncie. Mm-hmm. And it's so a great episode. I'll give, yeah, I'll give you a little a little background. I think that bonus episode might be close to two hours long because it it's one of those weird things where it is a big case. And it seemed that way at the time. It's a, it's a central Ohio case. And part of the reason why it becomes so big in length is the suspects that you had at the time. There were, in the newspapers anyway, it was reported that two different serial killers were potential suspects, as well as this one dude who, uh, his name is um, Hall, can't think of his first name and I don't Timothy Hall. So Timothy Hall is some dude that was way off the rails and he 
he killed this, this other man, this man that was trying to help him. And Timothy Hall has some severe mental issues, but, but what's super troubling about that is that he's also a violent individual. You know, most people that have mental, you know, have these struggles, have things that they're trying to work through. They're not violent individuals. This guy was violent to the point where he murdered a man that was trying to help him. Mm. So they lock him up. And while they're waiting to take him to trial for this murder of this man that was trying to help him, he's talking to somebody that's not there. The, the, the jail guards can see him talking to somebody that's not present. And the person that he's talking to is they believed that he might've been talking to the ghost or thought he was talking to the ghost of Tony Muncy who was killed and it was unsolved. So he's an interesting part of that story. That's what we find with some of these, these really fascinating cases that there's, there's all these other little stories within them along the way. Timothy Hall, I, I've actually got onto block parole. I've gone to block his parole and, and sign that petition several times um, because his, he's come up for parole twice that I can think of uh, since signing those petitions. And he's not been let out. And, and I'm hoping that he never gets out because I don't think that he, I don't think that he can reason in the way that some of us can. And, and I think he'll continue to be a violent individual because just the things he was doing before he was locked up would terrify me if he were to get released. Two of the other serial killers, one was uh, a guy named Wickline, who I've spoke to local police. They, this was a guy that people told me, local police told me, like, we, we would never bring him into a room outside of the bars without cuffs on him and having multiple officers in every room with him. The, the officers, the guys carrying a gun and badge were scared of this guy. This is how how big, mean, and nasty this dude was. He was like six foot four. And if you bring up a picture of him, the dude had like just one of those ox looking necks, you know, and they mean as all get out. And they, they nicknamed him the butcher because he, he he chopped up a few people. (laughs) And (laughs) has to put it bluntly. Yeah, well, they put they put him to death. He's he's been he's been executed here in Ohio, and then there was another guy, and I'm going to get his name wrong. Eiler, he was from Illinois. He was a serial killer, and he would drive. He'd go out on the road, and he'd pick up uh, these teenage boys and kill them out in the middle of nowhere. He got busted because I, he he put one of his victims in the dumpster at his apartment complex, so it was pretty easy to link it back to him. And he was one of these guys that he got picked up for just one or two killings. But while he's behind bars, they figured out, hey, he probably killed all these other people. And he's his story is so weird. I, I'll tell you, I need to get like a team of people together and piece together the full Eiler story. Because it 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 is so crazy and bizarre. It doesn't sound true. It might not be true. He may have made up a lot of this stuff. I don't know, but, and I don't want to get too far into it. Cause that's, that's a rabbit hole for another time, but back to Tony Muncy. So 
the way this went down was on Sunday, October 16th, 1983, the mutilated body of a boy is discovered. This is when men were looking for deer. Okay. So these guys are just driving to the grocery store, to a convenience store to pick up a few items for the day. While they're out driving, they live out in the sticks. So they're always thinking about, oh, I'll see if I can spot some deer along these roadways, right? They're, they're paying very much attention to the sides of the roads as they're driving to the convenience store. One of these guys, he spots garbage bags that are lying near a wooded area on the side of a country road. He says that he thought that he saw... He said that he thought that he saw like a, a, a elbow sticking out of one of these bags, a human elbow sticking out of one of these bags. So he tells his buddy, stop the truck. They get out. What they discover is what he thought he saw is exactly what he did see. So they call the, this would have been the sheriff's department, Delaware County Sheriff's Department. They call them in. And unfortunately, what they find is the body of Tony Muncie. He was 15 at the time, and he's in some pieces in these different trash bags. Yeah, that was, that was one of the things, and not to interrupt you, that was the one thing that stood out so much to me when I listened to the episode was that arm sticking out of the bag and just how horrible that must have been for the people that had to find that. And for Tony, to, for Tony obviously. Yeah, and I actually have, I filed a request years ago and got the police, the actual police report from when they pulled up and when they, you know, they're responding to this call of, hey, we found this, we made this horrible discovery on the side of the road. The short of it is they cut off his arms, which which is, is so bizarre. It's so strange because you, often when a perpetrator, a killer will dismember an individual. If they're not doing it just for the sheer pleasure of doing it, they're doing it to make the package smaller, to conceal it, to move it, to, to, um, to, well, to dump the body somewhere and make it easier on themselves. So it seems weird to me that they, they stopped after cutting off the arms and from my understanding from what the the way that the newspapers reported this was we're talking about dismemberment at the shoulders and then again at the elbows so i don't know if the the killer was interrupted and couldn't dismember the body more before moving it or if they just gave up at some point because you watch any mob show or you you read any serial killers that are willing to go into descriptions and give you a full confession, dismembering a person is not easy work. It's not easy at all. So maybe this, this individual just gave up at some point. But obviously, they're doing it for a purpose. You don't just take on that task without it being a necessity or, like I said, unless you're doing it for the sheer pleasure of it. So that's how an individual like Wickline gets linked to this possible murder. Maybe he's the guy that killed Tony Muncie because what is he known as? He's known as the butcher. His previous victims, he dismembered them. 
one of the victims he dismembered just for pure shock and pure effect. It was to send a message. He, he was involved in drugs. He moved drugs. He sold drugs. He was, this Wickline guy was every bit a career criminal. He, he broke into places. He robbed places. He stole things. He cheated everybody he knew. And he was, he's like a one-man wrecking crew. He'd, he, he'd kill. He'd do whatever he wanted. He didn't care. And that's what, part of the reason why I think even guys in law enforcement were afraid of this dude. This is, this is not only walking evil within Wickline, but it's also just, just a, a guy that was born to break the law. And what, what happened was one of the crimes, one of the murders he got locked up for, or I should correct that, he was never technically convicted of it. It never went to trial, but it's considered a closed case because he already got locked up here in Ohio was this drug dealer that he was a known associate of. He must've owed him money or Wickline didn't like him for some reason, because what he did was he, he, he attacked the guy, killed him inside his home in his residence and left the man's head on his nightstand, leaving the, decapitated body in the bed next to the nightstand just for sheer shock value just probably to send a message out to anybody else that he may be working with that might wrong him there's rumor of him even going down to florida and offing a person or two down there as well (laughs) so he gets he gets linked to it just by you know this this is what i what i think is fascinating because some of these old cases from like the seventies and eighties, they read like a, a fictional crime story, right? Oh, this guy who's been known to chop up people, he's a known murderer. Oh, he was out in, in just the general area as this victim who had the same similarities. Well, it must be him. So just that fact right there, it's 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 a big leap, but that makes him one of their prime suspects at the time. They can't ever pin Tony Muncy's murder on him. And it seemed to me like a lot of people at the time, or at least the way that it read in the newspaper stories back in 83, 84, and 85, was that a lot of people were pretty convinced that Timothy Hall, the guy that was locked up that was talking to somebody that wasn't there, was probably guilty of it, partly because he was closer in age to our victim, to Tony Muncy, who was only 15 at the time. And Tony's family had some weird comments to the papers, and I believe it was Tony's father who says, yeah, there's a good chance that Timothy Hall and Tony Muncy knew one another. I looked and looked and looked all I could, Bill, and I tell you what, I could not find anybody else that would say that I couldn't find any other reference that there was any possibility that these two knew each other. They lived different lives. They lived in different parts of Columbus. They were separated in age by about 10 years. It just didn't make any sense. Well, Eiler, the serial killer out of Illinois. Mm -hmm. So one little story, underlining story in, in his bigger story that's interesting is I mentioned the term wrecking crew earlier. There's a book out there called the wrecking crew. 
and it's about the the defense for Stephen Avery. Mm. And I can't think of the the lady's name. Is it Zeller or Zellner? Zellner. Okay, so she actually represented Eiler. And whether you like Zellner or not, one thing I've always liked about her, and I thought this was fascinating, was Eiler was hinting to her that he had killed other people, that he wasn't being tried for. So she convinces Eiler to write down the names or give a good description of these victims that he's not been tied to yet. And she does give that to the public and gives that to law enforcement. She's not one of these dirty, you know, defense attorneys that is like, yeah, I know the guy's guilty as hell. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to represent him and try to get him, get him back out on the streets. I don't know who who you're talking about. (laughs) Right. So she's a, uh, she's got some integrity to her. So I, I like that. And that's weird that she's kind of been famous now for, for multiple other cases. And back then she was just somebody coming up in the world and um, doing good things. They could never tie Tony Muncie to Eiler as well. And, and I've seen the list that he came up with and there's no reason to suspect that he would have been in the area in the Columbus area at the time. Mm -hmm. But the way that Tony went missing is so strange because him and his family, the day that he is last seen, they're doing family pictures together back you know you hire a photographer to come into your home and take pictures of the whole family together immediately after the pictures he tells his father i think he bums a few bucks off of his father and says that he's going to take the bus out to the west side to see his girlfriend his girlfriend and the girlfriend's father both say later after the fact one they were not expecting tony they had made no plans for him to come over to visit and he never showed up. So police and friends of Tony immediately questioned this whole story of, of him asking for money from his father to take the bus. Mm-hmm. I have no reason to doubt that, that that was the case. His friends thought that it was odd because him being 15, he would have had some friends that were 16 and 17 that could drive at the time. They have later said after the fact, hey, we would have drove him out there. Um, but Tony, the reason why his case was always one of my passion cases, and I actually considered doing it on your show and you were kind enough to have me on. And I talked about Amy Hooper's case, another mm-hmm. Columbus case, which I actually think I'm very optimistic about Amy, Amy Hooper's case now more than ever. And I won't get into that here, but Tony Muncy's case, well, the you reason can't why leave, you, can't, you can't leave me hanging on that. I just re-aired you. Well, so <laughs> I think by the conclusion of this story, you will understand why I'm more optimistic about her case. Okay. uh, Now more than ever. Excellent. So Tony Muncy, I was always passionate about his case because I identified with the victim. When I read about him and read about his life, it reminded me somewhat of myself in my teenage years. And so in a way I felt extra bad that this guy didn't get to grow up to be an adult. He was a kid that was kind of in and out of trouble a little bit, but he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything real bad. He was just, you know, he was a kid that would would stay out too late. He might skip school. He wasn't out being violent or robbing people or hurting anybody or anything like that. He was just 
kind of in and out of trouble. And we're talking about all kind of small time, very teenager type things. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins. Convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home, and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. I actually think Tony would have grown up to be a great guy. But he just seems like an all-American kid, like your normal your normal teenager. I mean, 15 years old, 1983. I mean, geez, like you look at his picture, it just looks like anybody you would have been in school with. So he goes out, says he's going to ride the bus to go see his girlfriend. He doesn't come home that night, but this doesn't set off any alarm bells because he was known to kind of just run the streets and it would, it was not a big deal. He would often stay out with friends and then just crash at a friend's house. Now there was some dynamics inside the household where dad was kind of strict about the rules and mom was more let the boys be boys kind of attitude. So there were many nights if he didn't come home that she was aware, but she didn't bring it up to her husband because he'd get pissed and get upset that, Hey, the kids aren't following the rules. So he doesn't come home that night, but it doesn't, you know, like I just said, it doesn't bother anybody. It doesn't set off any alarm bells. They never had a friend like that too. You know, I think we all had a friend like that too, who, I couldn't get away with doing something like that, but you knew a buddy that could be like, yeah, I'll I'll sleep over tonight. And, you know, like, it's just, he could fly by the seat of his pants. Yeah. There there were. Yeah. That's just, yeah. There were kids that either their parents just trusted them so much or they, or they just were very hands off. Right. And just kind of let them, let them be themselves and let them grow up and let them, let them learn through trial and error. Free range Uh, children. Yeah. So the weird thing about Tony is even though he's 15, he's never reported missing. In fact, his parents don't know to have, you know, to be alarmed by anything until they're listening to the radio of a discovery of a, of a teenage boy who was killed. They lived in Columbus in Columbus proper, which Mm -hmm. is in Franklin County. Now, North of Franklin County is Delaware County. And one thing that I said, and, and it, some people thought I was joking or being sarcastic, but it's the absolute truth because I saw it in multiple cases in the 70s and the 80s. Delaware County is not as populated as Franklin County. Columbus is a major city, and it's, it's the center of Franklin County. Delaware County, even to this day, does not have nearly the population of Franklin County. And so back in the 70s and 80s, 
because the population was so small in Delaware County and it was all kind of country roads, I said in, in our Tony Muncy coverage that one thing that seemed to be a popular option and seemed to be a successful uh, modus operandi was if you killed somebody in Columbus, if you could transport their body all the way up to Delaware and dump them on the side of a country road, you seem to get away with it. And that's what happened with Tony Muncy's case. And so they find him up in Delaware County. They ran their investigation pretty hardcore. It was weird, though, because Delaware County really wanted to work the case. They wouldn't hand it over to Columbus PD or to Franklin County Sheriff's Department, which at the time would have been better equipped to handle this type of case. Columbus PD really wanted this case so much so that they were actually actively working it at the same time, but they were butting heads with the Delaware County Sheriff's office, Delaware County, from my understanding, what I could find from the newspapers, they did, they did work every resource that they could on the case. And they had limited resources compared to the others agencies that I mentioned, but from the persons interviewed, I spoke to some of the people that were interviewed in that case back when they were teenagers. They were interviewed as teenagers because that's Tony's circle, right? You got to look within that circle. They seem to think, based off of the questions and interviews that they sat in, that Delaware County really thought that this was some kind of drug, that drugs were involved, that drugs were the motivation or, for Tony's murder. Now, mind you, all of these kids, I say kids, but yet they're all about, <laughs> they're all about 10, 15, 20 years older than me. Mm -hmm. But kids at the time, 14 to about 19-year-olds, they all told me the only thing that anybody in the neighborhood was ever involved in was drinking some beers, maybe smoking a joint. And I'm talking to each one of them, I'm like, yeah, you don't, you don't kill a kid and cut off his arms because of some marijuana. It just doesn't ring true. There, it doesn't track. You can, you can try it all day long. It doesn't make any damn sense. No. So that's where you circle back and you go, okay, well, maybe Timothy Hall was the guy. Anyway, the case goes nowhere. We covered it, and I was so glad that we covered it because Tony, what was so sad about his case, because it was the early 80s, and partly because he was his body was found up in Delaware County. There was very little story remaining of Tony and of his unsolved murder and of that case. It wasn't something that popped up in the newspapers. It was not something that was discussed in Columbus. And then you get on, I got on the internet. He had damn near zero digital uh, footprint. I just looked it up. There's only, I think three articles that I could find uh, about it. And, and after you know, that, everything would probably be true crime garage. And they're from the Akron beacon journal. They're not even from the Columbus dispatch where you would think that would help hail from. Now I'll do another research, you know, I'll run it again on my newspapers.com thing, but uh, yeah, that's just, I mean, did you find anything on newspapers.com? Well, newspapers.com is great, is a great resource and I love it. But as far as central Ohio goes, there's very few newspapers.com relies on the publication signing up with them. Exactly. And not a lot of the central Ohio publications have signed up mm. on there. So you don't get, it's not a great resource for Columbus or Franklin County cases. 
Is there one? Is there one that, because I know there's other ones out there, like there's newspaperarchive.com. I mean, do any of those get Columbus Papers? Because that that is such a great tool for people that like to do the research on these cases. Yeah, yeah. And the thing, what I did was, this was a couple years before we covered it. I got on these, um, I can't remember if it's the Columbus or Franklin County excuse me, Franklin County. I can't remember what it is, but it's the, it's basically a news index and you can't, you can't view the actual articles, but it will tell you it's like a catalog of the articles. So I found that there were, there were plenty at the time uh, articles in the Columbus papers because I mean, because of what the story was and because of it being an unsolved child murder and really just something that, that terrified that neighborhood that general neighborhood, it, you know, you had interviews in the papers with kids saying, yeah, I feel like I'm next. And they had all these little kind of urban legends that were created out of Tony's death within that, that neighborhood, you know, it's some horrifying. Kids saying, yeah. Some kids saying, Oh, I, I saw guys driving around in a black car and, um, Oh, he was seen at the, at the mall. Somebody picked them up at the mall, you know, and there's all these little kind of urban legends. To give well, you to give the listeners a little idea, how far away did you live from where this took place? Well, I grew up probably seven, eight miles from where Tony grew up. But wow, okay. But keep in mind, he's he's significantly older than well, sure. Than, you know, he would be if he would be alive today, he'd be significantly older than me. I was very, I was a little baby back in 1983. But um, this was I, yes. So. This was just a case that I stumbled upon in my in my mid twenties and really wanted to take a, a look into it because I thought it was such a fascinating case. And um, so yesterday, you know, I don't you I know I saw you got the record button going. I imagine you'll put this out at some point, but um, when I say yesterday, I mean April twenty ninth. I was, I'm trying to support some local businesses, right? During Mm -hmm. this time, I went and picked up a couple pizzas doing the carry out with the mask and gloves on. And some guy like invited me to stand in line with him. And I mentally gave him the finger and I said, no, but I, but all he really got was a no, thank you. And I waited, you know, down the block. So anyway, I get this text from the captain. And I, I can't really see what it is because I won't, I, I, I saw that it, it buzzed when I was in my car, but I left my phone in my car because that's another thing I'm doing during this whole little uh, quarantine thing. I'm not bringing my phone into places with me unnecessarily. You know, I'm just walking in real quick to pick up a couple pizzas. So I saw that the captain buzzed my phone. Yeah, that's a good tip. You can use that one on, uh, at home, people. Um <laughs> So I saw the captain text me and picked up the pizzas, drive home, and it, I'm able to look, you know, at his actual text once I get home. Once I, you know, sprayed myself down with the garden hose out front and scrubbed everything. So before the first bite of pizza, I click on his text. He sent me, this was breaking news, April 29th. Delaware County authorities solved 1983 cold case of 15-year-old boy's murder. Oh. 
They solved his case. Shut up. That's, isn't that crazy? So it has no relation to Amy Hooper's case, but when you hear something like this, you go, shit, anything's possible. 1983 was Tony Muncy's murder. Amy Hooper, well, you just had me on your show. What was it, 90? One is it, yeah, 92, 91, yeah. 92. So one that, that this should give everybody hope for any cold case out there, not just Amy's case, but they solved this thing. And apparently they started working the case. When I say they, I mean the cold case unit in Delaware County, the cold case unit started working this case again in 2010 years before true crime garage covered it and the the they were silently working this case and what's so interesting too like i remember when i first started looking into tony's case getting onto delaware county sheriff's office their website which will be much different today because i'm talking about getting onto their website like in 2012 2013 looking up information on this case. And one thing I remember seeing on there was they had a cold case unit page and it said how dedicated Delaware County was to solving cold cases and how, how it was a very high priority for Delaware County. Wow. This, this proves it. This proves it. This is a kid that wasn't even from Delaware County that just happened to be left there. This proves that it is a high priority in Delaware County. So they solved this case, and it turns out through they used Parabon Nano Labs to do DNA genealogy, DNA genealogical database searches using DNA that was found on Tony's person. If I remember the case correctly, whoever killed him was cowardice enough to stab the this young man in the back. And we know this because of holes that were found in the clothing and obviously wounds on the body. But it would be believed that the perpetrator, we've talked about this on your show and we talk about it on True Crime Garage all the time. Stabbing is is so violent that it often injures the offender at the same time. Yeah. Often an offender will very badly cut their hands or fingers in the process of stabbing an individual. So very likely blood was left on Tony's shirt and on some of his clothing from the perpetrator, from the actual killer. And I think they did run into significant obstacles and troubles with this DNA. Sometimes it's mixed. Sometimes you got to be able to sort it out. Uh, I don't want to get too much into the science of it because um, like, like you, know, you went said, to school for computer, not for doctor. Well, and like Elton John said, all the science I don't understand. But um, through the DNA research, it sounds like they felt like they had a break. This would have been in June of 2018, and Mm -hmm. it was about 18 months later that they narrowed it down to three brothers. It's crazy. And they were able to determine that one of the three brothers is the guilty party. This was based off of some additional information. This guy did have a bit of a history, a criminal history, that is. Unfortunately, the killer, Tony's killer, is dead. He died in 2013. And 
he would have been 30 years old at the time of Tony's murder. His name is Daniel Allen Anderson is the man that killed Tony Muncy. So um, as sad as the story is, as sad as the case is, it does make me happy that it's finally solved. I did a little chair dancing while I was eating my pizza and reading the article. I did go back to try to figure out what uh, Daniel Anderson's criminal history is. He's got a lot of small charges against him in the Franklin County area. It looks like he at some point was a registered sex offender. My guess would be knowing Tony's personality and attitude and lifestyle at the time when he was 15, he was probably picked up somewhere. It could have been the mall, like the urban legend says. It could have been a black vehicle, like the urban legend said. He was picked. My guess would be he, he was picked up by this Daniel Anderson under the idea of, of he had something to offer Tony, be it a ride somewhere, money for something or drugs, you know, yeah. a joint or a couple beers or whatever. Like I said, Tony was just a regular teenager, probably would have taken somebody up on a couple beers or a joint or a ride to see his girlfriend. Um, and you said a van probably right? turned sinister at some point. And it was a van. What's that? It was a van. That's what was reported. A van. I don't. I don't have that information. Oh, okay. I was gonna say because it's just thinking of how many vans are. I'm thinking in the '80s and smoking weed and you know. Well, and that's <laughs> jump in my van. That, we'll have a couple beers and smoke a joint. And uh, that's the problem that that with Tony's case for investigators was it. It wasn't an abduction like you see on TV where there's, you know, somebody screaming and somebody's grabbed and pulled into a van, a creepy mm. van. Um, no, it was, we don't know where he was when he encountered Daniel Anderson. And Daniel Anderson probably befriended Tony, like I said, and then it became sinister at some point where this adult wanted something that Tony does not want to provide or be a part of. Mm. Um, yeah, I can see where you're going with that one. Yeah. So, I mean, it's wonderful. I'm so happy. I'm so, and I know that Tony's, I spoke to Tony's brother, his younger brother briefly when we, shortly after we covered the case. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear that he, he will get some of the answers that he deserves. You know, I don't think Tony's parents, I know his father has not been alive for some time, but it's nice to see a, a cold case uh, Franklin County, Columbus area cold case finally solved after all these years. And another satisfying part of the story is to hear that Delaware County, who says cold cases are of a high priority here. Well, they just proved that. They just proved that big time with, with putting a lot of time and effort into solving this old case. And I think that does give you a lot of hope in other cold cases and other municipalities that do say we, you know, we are making this a priority and they do have the technology that they can use to solve these cases. And I'm so happy that it's nice to actually have an episode where we know actually who killed um, the person because so many of the cases that we cover, it's, you know, it, it, there isn't an answer and there's a lot of speculation and it really makes you wonder God, what was this Timothy Hall? You know, all those things that circumstantially connected him to the case. Man, there's some weird stuff there. And 
I would really love to know if this Anderson character had shared any of this information with anybody. Um, and if they did, if anybody could come forward, I don't know what they would, you know, what they're, would be, I don't know if they'd be considered an accessory or what, but that's just, you really threw me for a loop. I didn't even, <laughs> did not know that was coming. Well, I want to, I would like to point out a couple things. One, if you want the full extended version of the story of Tony's case and those three suspects that we talked about that turns out are not guilty, it was somebody that was totally off of the radar. And that's when you see these cases go cold, often that's a big part of why they may go cold because the suspect was nowhere in the circle of friends or in his anywhere in Tony's world. It was probably just a chance encounter. Yeah. And um, if you want that full story, that that is still available for download on iTunes. Anybody can find it. Just just look up Tony Muncie, look up True Crime Garage, Tony Muncie. But also another thing to look up is, look, Wickline is dead. And he was a he was a big, dangerous individual that would have gone on to kill again. It, it, when when law enforcement, when men who are trained and women who are trained to apprehend and defend themselves and protect society are afraid of an individual, afraid to be in a room with a particular individual, you know how bad and how horrible the person is. Um, Eiler is dead as well. The other guy, Timothy Hall is still alive. And if you do a, if you type into your old Google machine block parole, Mm -hmm. blockparole.com, you can look up Timothy Hall. He has another parole hearing, which will be in June of 2021. I have signed the petition to block his parole at least twice that I can think of. This is a dangerous individual who has not been rehabilitated. If he was ever habilitated in the first place, I don't know. But um, I don't believe he would have been. He, Unfortunately, he is clearly somebody that suffers from a lot of, a lot of issues that he does not have control over. Um, yeah. You know, you, know, you know, Bill, your show, our show is a big proponent of, of pushing that this country does not do a great job or a good enough job of solving some of the mental health issues in this country. And I'd like yes. to see that change. But Timothy Hall is a violent individual, and that doesn't come with those kind of um, illnesses. I don't even know what to call mental health things anymore. It's just There doesn't seem a, to be a good word or a good terminology for it. It's not easily explained. But one thing that people should keep in mind is these individuals that have these issues that are trying to work through them, they the overwhelming majority of the time, they're not violent individuals. This guy is, and that makes him a danger to society. He cannot be back out. He, he doesn't, he does not, he comprehends enough of what he did, but during his interrogation, he tells the police officers, I believe this is the first time that I killed. That's, that's another reason why he becomes a suspect in, in Tony's case. I believe this is the first time I killed and I believe I really liked it. I believe it's something I'll do again. And I, and guess what? I believe Timothy Hall. And that's why I get on block parole and sign that petition every time. 2021, June of that year. I do not want to see that guy walking down the streets of Columbus, Ohio. No, get on the, get on the Google machine. Like Nick said, and definitely uh, voice your uh, 
displeasure with parole and he is a definitely a menace to society and people like that deserve to remain in prison and again even if you look up his current records he has not been a model prisoner he's not been rehabilitated like you said not that we do great at rehabilitating anybody in prison but he's even worse so with his mental issues i do hope that he stays where he is and i can't believe that uh the muncie case is solved and it's somebody who is wasn't even on the list that's crazy but i do highly recommend anybody who's listening to this to download and you know check out the true crime garage episode on it because it is a very very thorough uh dive into the case and i have it i've bought it so So on the itunes store it's very affordable it's a buck 99 yep i appreciate you having me on i appreciate our little bunker cast that we did and it was awesome thank you so much great to talk to you and i wanted to celebrate this moment with with somebody so i I was i can't believe that you had me on and um uh and don't get don't don't the captain's gonna get jealous so don't you know i don't know he might be mad oh he'll be fine he'll be fine he's been (laughs) the captain's been very busy staying very busy with things and we've been busy with true grime garage things so a lot going on in the garage, even though we are in love the new shirts too. Mode. Oh, cool! Thank you, thank you for saying so. That is the the captain is the designer of almost all of our shirts. So, oh, no kidding! Okay, that's a, that's a big kudos and a big uh, uh, shout out to him. Excellent. Well, everybody, buy your t-shirts from truecrimegarage.com. Obviously, subscribe if you have never subscribed to their show. I don't know who hasn't because of all your cabillion downloads, and you know, again. Thanks so much for joining me. It really is uh, helpful and appreciated. Thank you, Bill. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you again to Nick from True Crime Garage for joining me once again in the studio. Of course, he was in Columbus while I was here in Cleveland, so we were socially distanced. As you guys know, I have been producing two shows. I produce my passion case as well as Who Killed? Currently, I am working on season two of my passion case. I have guests lined up such as Kelsey German of Delphi, Alyssa Turney of the Sarah Turney case, True Crime Files, Evidence Locker, and many, many more. And for the second year in a row, I will be representing Who Killed, Who Killed Aim Holovic, and my passion case on Podcast Row at CrimeCon 2020 in Orlando. It is definitely something that every true crime fan should check out if they have the opportunity. The new dates are now October 30th through November 1st, and if you would like to save on your ticket, you can do so by using my promo code AMY2020. And if you enjoy this podcast and my other shows, you can help support independent journalism by clicking on the donate button, either in the show notes or on the left-hand side of slowburnmedia.com, and that is slow minus the W. You can also contribute to the show via the Venmo app with my username at Bill-Huffman-3. I will also provide a link in the show notes. Every contribution does help and does keep these slow burn podcasts running. You can support the show 
another way by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Those five stars do help keep these important cases that I cover in the spotlight. And again, if you guys have any information regarding any of the cases that I've covered, you can always submit a tip anonymously to crimestoppers.com or you can reach out to the FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI. And if you'd like to stay up to date on the cases that I have covered, as well as the new shows that I have coming down the pipeline, please follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. And you guys, thanks so much for listening. I know we live in a crazy day and age, and hopefully until next time, everybody stay healthy and be safe. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at KillerPodcast.com. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events... On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there.